one of the trivia things said that DiCaprio worked out, but I don't know. I mean... It couldn't have been too much. I read a lot of dumb trivia when I was taking a break earlier. All right. Well, there we go. Speaking of taking a break... Hey, everyone. Why don't you kick back and put your feet up and pour yourself a glass <laughs> of champagne? <laughs> yeah, we, well, we've been kicking around uh, the idea of this episode. Welcome, everyone. This is... Uh, what are we calling this one? Hot Little Takes. Hot Little Takes. Episode 2. Today we're going to talk about a couple of movies we saw a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've we've talked about these movies at, lo- at we've, extent. Yeah, we've we pounded these into the ground. Continue to. Yeah, now that we've uh, put them through the filter, <laughs> so to speak. Um, sure. So the the movies that we want to talk about was Midsummer mm-hmm. and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Midsummer, I think, is not even in theaters anymore. Yeah, but I, I think we we caught it at near the end. But I managed to cram in three viewings. Of Midsummer in the month of July. Yes, and I, and I was present for the second of those viewings, but I was in a room all alone. <laughs> what does that mean? Just metaphorically, that movie isolates your brain and lulls you into a hypnotic existential fever dream. I think that that is a fucking <laughs> testimonial right there. But let's we, we what we talked about starting with originally was looking kind of at the whole summer for movies and talking about like summer event movies, these bigger movies that a lot of people go see that aren't necess- that aren't just Marvel movies and franchise movies and yeah, things that are original stories that might not <laughs> even have a sequel. My God! Yeah, it's a weird. I mean, believe it or not, I mean, they used to call those movies, but now we're like trying to come up with a subgenre. Yeah, now we have that. to. Now we have to like make it make yeah. excuses and make it make yeah. it a big deal that this even happens. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I think the last time we talked about just that situation, we got sad. It is well, it is sad, and even looking beyond the summer through the through this entire year, I have a hard time kind of pinpointing movies that that people sort of eventize and they really, really, you know, there's a, there's a lot of attention going to them before they open and they kind of ride that out and actually do successful yeah, like work I, at the I, box you office. See, you see all sorts of movies when you're hanging out by yourself, but I, <laughs> sure. I, I only see like one movie every three months. Sure. Yeah. And I, I go to a lot and of movies were two that I was like, I'll go see that in theaters. Of course. No so, question. Yeah. So you that's what we're to, talking about. You didn't about. have to twist my arm to get me to see those movies. <laughs> yeah. Hell no. They looked fucking cool. They sure. both looked cool and I'd heard good stuff. You know? Well, they, yeah. Well, they had a. They both had a pedigree. Yeah, right? and I know, and I've seen the previous things these directors have done. Uh, the very esteemed Ari Aster. Yeah. And the little-known Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Well, obviously, all of his movies are event movies for people. Yes. Even when you're not a huge fanboy, which I'm not. Yeah. Uh, and we can get to that more later, but but the, we had we had precedent to be excited for these movies beyond absolutely. beyond just the trailers and the you know oh yeah the setup. Absolutely. I think we were going to talk about Midsummer first, and then, you know, move on to Hollywood. Well, we both... So the question that I had raised to you was we were talking about horror movies, and what are our favorite horror movies? Exactly, because this movie kind of goes this movie, goes adjacent this, from the this genre. This movie became one of those movies, I would say. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, about halfway through, I was like, this would be in my top ten. Well, you know, that's the first question I would ask you, then, is, is it a horror movie? Um... I think it was deliberately a horror movie. One of the trivia things I read today is that Hereditary was not supposed to be a horror movie. It was supposed to be a family drama, and then they made the decision to change that, 
And but I think this one was always supposed to be a horror movie. Abject horror. Um, and the things that might make you think it's not a horror movie are the things that trick you, or all into, of the, you know, <laughs> yeah. into thinking that that any of this is going to be okay. Like, you know nothing's going to be okay. If you've seen the trailer, you know nothing's going to be okay. But the entire movie is set up to make you think... Well, on one level, like, how fucking dumb are these people? Like, is, any horror movie? How, so, you know, so, do, how do they not see it coming? Because I'm yelling at the screen kind of thing. So is impending doom for the primary characters a pillar of a horror movie? Yeah, the suspense element, you sure, know? You sure. have to have uh, even a mild investment, even if they're... They're usually annoying characters, and there are some of those that you're happy to see die. That's a part sure. of the bloodlust of the audience sure. watching a movie. But there are obviously so many pieces of Midsummer that make it, and this is, and we can kind of move this to a general discussion about where horror movies are at right now. There's so many parts of that movie that lull you into like, this is a relationship drama right now. Sure. You know, like you can. Or parts of it where you're like, this is a fucking comedic scene happening. Right. The, and this, that was a big thing that I know we wanted it's to talk a, about is that it's one of the funniest movies I've seen which all is, year. Which is good balanced drama. That I know we both like, you know, like we've been talking about Mad Men or something like that sure. or, or uh, Breaking Bad or sure. all those things. They have the moments of levity. Yeah. You know, it's Shakespeare. And you they're, know? but they're not even, and we talked about this, I think, the night that we saw it, that there's a lot of moments that. You can laugh at because they're they're sort of strange, you know, the two elders singing at the ends of the tables and things like that. Oh yeah, but I but the there's movie, a lot of just weird shit. But happening. the movie's so aware of those things being funny. Yeah, that the that the the bizarre nature of the environment that they're in just kind of like deepens and widens and becomes so much richer than well, sets you up for and the... You, you sit in it for a long exactly, time. Exactly, You know, so that those weird little things, you know, at one point you'll, I don't know, you'll see some, you'll see a lot of background shenanigans happening. Oh, yeah. You know, like ladies holding a baby and swaying and gold, singing together. Gold, gold and, standard extra work throughout and, the yeah, film. Yeah, like they rehearse the shit out of, and choreograph the shit out of everything. It um, seems like a nice place. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's why, you know, it's funny to watch something like that, because screaming at the main character to not be such a fucking gaslighted pushover with her boyfriend, because the whole thing is about the relationship, really. Well, and that's one of the, the, the biggest takeaways that I've gotten from listening to interviews with Ari Aster, is how the entire story is structured as a fairy tale for that girl. I mean, she obviously mm -hmm. she is she is with the wicked prince and goes through this traumatic event and is swept away to this like very bizarre kind of fairyland where she becomes the the flower queen, the May Queen, mm -hmm. you know, on to and you know that's gonna be her as oh, soon as they say that sure. there's a thing sure. called the May Queen. You're gonna be like, she's gonna look adorable with all those flowers on her head. It is a triumphant moment, though. I mean, I the oh, well, the May they, Queen the May Queen sequence is one of my favorite parts oh, of that movie. Yeah. Well, there's it's one of those things that because this movie does a really effective use of uh, drugs. The best of it, all time? Because it, Question mark? Because it 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 relates the emotions and a lot of the visual sensation of mushrooms, but it also becomes this uh, storytelling tool to let you the audience like let go of reality sure the and kind of be unsure of, yeah the anxiety the anxieties but, of all that stuff and exactly. also the beauty because the whole thing is so beautiful and it's mm -hmm. outside and it's during it's midnight sun you uh -huh. know so it's just daylight and these pretty 
pretty people in their little white outfits. Oh, you know what? I have a, I have a question about the about the the sun cycle there because they say I think at one point they say that it does get a little dark for, for like a couple, two hours for like a couple hours. The final sequence when they're burning everyone in the uh, the thing the thing that is ostensibly after the May Queen event, Christian screwing the the teenager. All of the things that well, led, it, that led up to that. That's when Josh. The, the, the last night they have is when they're like, "Where are all of our friends?" Like most of them are gone at this point. Right. So that's when he goes and so to that's the one crazy day for that last for Christian. And yeah. So is it? Name, what's her character's name? Danny. Danny. So is it like three in the morning when they burn that thing down? Yeah, I mean, it could have been twenty hours later. I mean, Jesus. And, and I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, you if you do. I don't know if anyone out there has ever done mushrooms. Like your time sense is distorted. You're gonna be you could be yeah. tripping for hours. Yeah, and you. Hours and yeah, hours. You, and if you're, I mean, if you're taking. And the acid, first time they do it, she has a bad trip and she sleeps through. She sleeps a lot. I mean, yeah. or at least we, the viewer, she, you know, they find her and they say she's been sleeping. Sure. And the last thing you see was her freaking out and running into the woods, and that's a great tense sure. scene. The movie does a really good job of like making these intense moments happen and then lulling you back into kind of a hypnotic state. Yeah, there's really good sound design work throughout this thing where you can... We, I mean, you said this earlier when she's like at the dinner scene after she's made May Queen, you know, her flowers are breathing around her head and there is kind of a different audio yeah, waviness some, that's going on. Some audio hallucination and then it will like and stuff. It will slap into something that's yeah. a little more... Yeah. sober and plain and that does happen when you take mushrooms as well you kind of wave in and out of this level of awareness that can seem really painful when you come out of it well and you're you not know? supposed to do that kind of thing when you're in a bad state of mind so she yeah. goes on this trip in a bad state of mind uh, when they first get there they're like we, we're gonna do these mushrooms and they're arguing about coming up at the same time and she's just acquiescing and you're like oh this poor girl yeah. and of course someone says family and she goes nuts and yeah yeah the whole setup to the movie I I want to give yeah let's talk let's talk about that I think that hereditary the first half I really liked and it had that horrifying moment and this movie does the same shit in the first 10 minutes and it sets mm. the whole movie up right with their, this girl's been talking to her bipolar sister, which some people are a little... Uh, yeah, unpack... Tell me about that. You brought that up last I just remember reading something about ableism and how, mm. you know, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big leap from bipolar to murdering yourself and your parents with hoses coming from the garage and a yeah. running car and... Yeah, it's a horrifying. I mean, for a horror movie and for the sure. sense of dread it sets up. Yeah, it's such an that's effective. That's a great, a great sequence, though. It's such an effective device that he used in both of those movies, where you get completely shattered and floored with these hyper traumatic family events, like the, like the truest, like darkest fear that you have. So as the audience, you get leveled to this weak vulnerable place yeah so that everything that happens from then on out has a little bit more of an effect on you because you're just already 
you're broken and susceptible to all of it. Well, and you're like more invested in her as a character in the first 10 minutes than most female protagonists in a horror movie at the end of the movie after all the shit they've gone through because you're like she just went through yeah. this awful thing and yeah. her fucking boyfriend is a complete clown right. and they there's some there are some great scenes with them oh that's we, right we talked about just like the, the the blocking of that scene the scene where they're where he they're talking after she finds out he's going to sweden yeah and they there's a wonderful the camera spinning around them well, yeah the, oh, that, they do that whole thing in in two two setups but there's one there's that moment when they're she just found out that he's going to go to Sweden and they counter each other as he's making her apologize to him yeah. and you see that dynamic in the yeah, relationship the just like blown up in the, the blocking, blocking it's both. I just I have so much respect for that director I think the one the shot I really love that's in that early part of the movie too is when it's all of the all the other buddies in one big <laughs> yeah. wide and they're all sitting around the the living room and you see the you see uh, Christian and Danny coming in, and you see him in the mirror mm-hmm. in the background, mm-hmm. like, and that those that's a long shot. And he goes in there and he tells them he's such a fucking asshole. He tells them like that he told this girl that she can come on this trip with them, but she's not really gonna come. And he but he doesn't want them to spoil that. And mm-hmm. they're, he's just making them culpable in his fucking yeah. shitty relationship. Yeah, tough. Tough beat for guys named Christian. Well, and then you find out he's a fucking ginger. <laughs> Once they get out in the sunlight, the gingerness really comes out, and he's kind of got like a handsome Seth Rogen vibe, where you're like, if that guy existed, <laughs> no, a lot of people would probably find him irritating. And we, we talked about, I mean, the guy, the the actor does a great job. This is amazing. He, at, playing, at playing such a fucking uh, detestable character. Oh, yeah. Over the arc of the thing. I mean, he... Uh, he goes and fucks a little, a little teenager. Yeah, Christian is a an all timer stick man. He was like, he has that meeting with the with the elder woman in her house, and she's like, "What do you think of Maya?" And he leaves that thing being like, "I mean, I I, ca- I came all this way. Yeah, I could, like, I could not turn down a fresh virgin and this weird acid. Well, and that you're gonna put. That's in this why company. he wanted to take this trip without his girlfriend was so he could yeah. fucking." do whatever he wanted yeah not one to turn anything down that guy so let's 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 just and and he and he's playing the villain to a great fucking performance by uh florence Pugh. florence Pugh. oh my god and yeah they're fantastic they're all british right isn't there like one of the main characters is actually uh yeah because they filmed it all in sweden and exactly the uh god i can't remember the character or the actor's name the guy who was on high maintenance that i like so much the anthropologist yeah yeah uh the 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 good anthropologist (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly (laughs) which is a weird side plot that i don't even know if i want to but let's wait let's go back let's go back to florence Pugh though because that is she's she carries the fucking movie. That's like the performance of the year that I've seen. Yeah, uh, I hope she gets an Oscar nom. Just a nom. That's, you know, that's kind and of... And you know, I don't really care about that kind of thing. But you know... When you see a lot of movies, you start to, though. A little nom nods are nice. Because that's one thing we were gonna, I was going to say earlier about eventized movies. Like, I can eventize a lot of movies that come through here, like... Like Last Black Man in San Francisco, or Her Smell, or The Souvenir. And Didn't see any of those. And I think that all of those deserve Oscar nominations, and like maybe one of them will get one. But that typically doesn't happen with movies of this I, I size. Think, I think this one might get some like visual effects nods too, or some. 
cinematography or something well, like if that. There, if there's some ex-hippies on the Academy <gasps> that can appreciate the... Pardon me. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <clears throat> now that I know how easy You it don't is, have to cut it out. Now it's that fine. I know how easy I'm, it is I'm to drinking, cut stuff out. I'm drinking a beer, you know, while we're doing this. It's fine. Just relax. Just relax, everyone. <laughs> I, I, it happens. It's a normal bodily function. We don't need to cut around it. All right, I'll leave that in. I'll leave that in. <laughs> we want people to know we're real human beings. Uh, what else do we want to get in about Midsummer? This is one of my top... Okay, so one of... Top three what, of the what are What are your most horrifying moments in that thing? Or what What were, like, the ones that you're like, holy shit. Because one... The scene that, like, I was like... Because I knew it was going to be fucked up. The anthropologist guy knows it's going to be fucked up. When they go, yeah, the old people are going to be 72 or whatever. They've reached their fourth, 18th mm-hmm. year. And they walk them up to that thing... Mm-hmm. And they're looking at it for a long... That's what I was screaming at the screen, being like, how can you not see they're about to throw these old people off this fucking cliff? They don't... Nobody reacts until it happens the well, first time. Well, you know, I don't know. But that shit, the tension of that, and the the gore, because this guy nails his gore just just right. You know, I don't... I mean, I mean, you asked, like, what the most horrifying thing in the movie was to me. That's why I want, like... That's, like I guess that scene steps the whole movie up to a new... It's like an act change, so I think as for having seen it the f- only once, I yeah. mean I'm sure if I rewatched it I'd be like I really know this is coming from a mile away. Yeah, but I mean I, there's not a lot in the movie that I found like so horrifying in some like s- jumpy scary way. I think that the horrifying thing about it is the way that it's trying to like unpack human cruelty and like the personal violence that we do to each other. Oh yeah, you the, know what I mean. Like, the, uh, like almost the relationship, the, the psychological violence. Sure, happening. exactly, and like that's even go- is inside of the relation stuff, relationship stuff with Danny and Christian, and Christian and the anthropologist guy. Yeah, like that, like that kind of cruelty like, is like know. sort of like the real personal horror that goes on. There's obviously like some fantastic moments of brutality, like when they have to pound that guy's head because he didn't die right, which like. You've had all this time, you've been to the ceremony several times, and you've seen guys jump off. You're like, I'm going to go feet first. Oh, what a dumb move. <laughs> what an idiot. What an idiot. <laughs> you gotta... It's like he was trying to challenge his kids. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like it's, you... Like, it's like he was a stubborn old man, and he was like, Get, you better be ready with that fucking block, because I'm going feet first. <laughs> you better be ready to knock this fucking skull in. And they're like, Dad, god damn it. He's like, what? I'm the oldest in town. I get to do what I want for like three years. Oh my god! See, this is this is this is the this is the the art criticism on this movie that I really wanted to get to. So I was joking earlier that this movie made me giggle because I just watched The Norseman on Netflix and they have a lot of funny accents. And sure. And so I could see the and this movie does have a lot of funny moments and a really funny character who just says yeah. shit from off screen. Yeah. The time. I mean, and we said that earlier. This is one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long it's time. It's really funny. Like I could watch more of that town and just be like, what other weird shit do they do? Because that could kind of oh, yeah. be hilarious. Right. Well, and, and there then is... every once in a while they just murder some. Some outsider. That, uh, we're, so we'll have to do another pod when they... Like re- they have a different festival every season. When they release when they release the director's cut that has, like, the 30 to 40 additional minutes, we gotta watch it. Because what's in there? Oh, God. What do, you, what do you think is in the 30, 40 minutes that they cut? Because I have a that's couple... Like the, I have a couple theories. That's like the Tarantino one, too, because there's... I think the first cut of that was, like, four hours or something. I think there's plenty. 
<laughs> in that one. I'm sure there's... I'm, well, they're both... Well, I think one thing I would say is they're both... Both these movies feel a little long, but... I'm so engrossed in both of them that you know, I, can't, that's the, I can't really complain too much. That's the one thing it's that... It's just because the standard is now fucking two and a half hours because sure. of the fucking franchise movies. Sure. Midsummer, I really didn't have the... I remember going into it the first time thinking, wow, this movie's 220, 225, whatever it is. But it didn't... I've seen it three times and it didn't feel long to me any of those times. Especially once you get to that May Queen sequence it it just drives and drives and drives yeah. to like such an exultant the tension static place that you are yeah. i mean you're with it the whole the, time the tension of that thing is that i'd say midsummer feels like a more complete thing it doesn't have little meandering so much it yeah it keeps that tension going and then it lets it go and then it does it again right. and then it does it again right so all right so are we, are we ready to move on? I mean, our last rule, uh, Midsummer, I, I is that think it's... My, I think my I, my last question still to you is, what's your favorite horror movie? Because we got I'm sure we're going to talk about more in the future. That's true. Well, and, and we didn't really and have... The... And you've had, like, a couple weeks since I've asked you this question. Yeah, well, and we... And, God. That's why there's a conversation to be had about, like, what horror movies are right now, because they're so much different than the slasher movies of the 80s or, like, the really campy over-the-top ones of the 90s. They're in a, such a different place. Oh, come on. Don't don't give me that. I love this movie called. Just give me a couple. Right. Just give me a couple of your favorites. All right, you know what? I'll give of, you. I'll give you like top two or three. Top two or type. three. I, the one that I would really say that I love a lot, and I think everyone should seek out, is this movie called Starry Eyes. That was a hyper low budget. You told me about movie, that. Movie uh, that got the lead actress, who I thought did such a great job. If you follow her on Instagram, you can just see videos of her at her restaurant job now, so it's a real uh, it's a real bummer. What's her premise? What's the premise of the movie? The premise of the movie is um, a girl, and I, can't, I wish I could remember her name, because I remember screaming it at the television, who lives with a bunch of like young artists in Los Angeles, and they all want to be actors and writers and producers, and she wants to be an actress, but she's kind of... Sarah is her name. and she, But she's kind of uptight, and uh, eventually she meets this producer for this movie and um, swallows a demon seed from him and turns into a, a psychopath. Cool. And kills all of her friends. Is it uh, some some body horror Cronenberg stuff? It is fucking brutal at the end. But it but it, and she but the great thing about that movie is that she wins. She commits all this evil. She sells her soul yeah. to the devil. She becomes the bad guy. Yeah, and she's like reborn out of the yeah. ground, and it's a wonderful sequence. Horror movies are the one genre where bad guys can typically win. Well, it's the one genre where like you, it's you have no restrictions. Yeah, and you can also make that shit for cheap. That's the thing that I'm talking about, like with these new horror movies, especially those A24 movies. You know, Hereditary and Midsummer, of course, The Witch, the, Black the, Coat's Daughter, the, the like bitch. all of these movies that like. Uh, Neon Demon, these movies that have like. <laughs> name another one. How what, you couldn't name a horror movie two seconds ago, and now you just railed off ten of them. Well, but those, I mean, but these are all things that I've watched in the last couple of years. Like I know, and I haven't watched marveling a lot at of, how this has changed. I think of old movies that I like that, or ones that I think I I like horror movies when they're funny, like rap music. Right. A lot too. <laughs> I like, like my uh, I like my horror, horror movies. movies and my rap music with a sense of humor to them. So, like, Cabin in the Woods is the last really good one I saw. Uh, I'm a huge Final Destination fan. But uh, my favorite from childhood is um, 
the people under the stairs because it's about a little kid. Right, 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 right. And I think he and he wins in the end. They don't kill the little kid at the end of the movie or whatever. Well, that's good. Did we did we determine if Twenty Eight Days Later counts? Oh yeah, because I because I love that movie. Yeah, well that's a good Danny Boyle and. Uh, uh, guy from the beach, Alex Garland. Oh, that's right. It's good. I forgot up. about that. What yeah. happened to Danny Boyle? That yesterday movie looked fucking awful. I think he can get away with whatever he wants. Still, I guess so. I didn't see the last Train Spotting, and that's a sin. I I think maybe you should delete that I even said that because I because lo- <laughs> I really should have. Sure. I don't know. Maybe we should take a little break, and when we come back, we can talk about this uh, new director, Quentin Tarantino, who's apparently made eight more movies before this. Hmm. Hmm. Once upon a time in Hollywood. And now a break to hear a message from our sponsor. The Now Show with Jack Bell, now streaming on Grown Up Costume Party on YouTube. Check out episodes one through four now and tune in for the finale coming soon. The Now Show with Jack Bell. And now for your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> regularly scheduled programming. I like that. Alright, we're back. Uh, we're going to kind of close the door on Midsummer, which we both agree. Got an A. All the thumbs up. It's joining our favorite movies. Yeah. Of the, the horror genre. Top five, top five on the year, for sure. But now we're going to move into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I have decidedly more, I think, mixed feelings about. Oh, really? Yeah. I think I probably do, too. Well, why, why, spe- why don't you kick us off? I've honestly probably spent less time mulling over it just because Midsummer, Midsommar... Overwhelmed um, it. Yeah, like, leaves you a little traumatized. Whereas Once Upon a Time in Hollywood leaves you, like nostalgic for I don't know some some madman era kind of shit sure right I but, I've, but I but I don't I don't know is but like it's kind also of con- the... that's the thing we've been talking about is it's also kind of like is that uh, is it a good thing like you know is it a bunch of white guy white rich guy shenanigans or whatever <laughs> right you right know. so that's the stuff that we can kind of unpack because you said it kind of leaves you feeling whatever which I think is sort of profound that you're like what am I really taking away from this revisionist fairy tale version of like one of the most traumatic Hollywood events of the '60s? Yeah, and Tarantino's this um, revisionist history trend is strange anyway. Sure, I'm not against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The revisionist history one I did like was Inglorious Bastards. Sure, because Nazis are getting killed. Yeah, right. It's easy to buy in on that one. This one yeah. is a little more in the abstract. And is a little more. It's so. <laughs> well, it's it's really like the era Tarantino always wanted to make a movie in because it's about movies in the era of movies that he loves. Right. So you know every Tarantino movie has them talking about some movie from the fucking sixties that he's obsessed with, and in the context of this thing, it can be happening right now rather than characters well, who just happen to have the same interests that he does sure i mean mean? yeah but i mean like the movie couldn't really happen right now because hollywood is such a different thing than it was and i don't know if this is 
just a, a cry for those good old days where you could say the n-word and people didn't care quite as much as they do now because i mean that's one of the and i don't want to spend a whole yeah. lot of time on this but i mean i'm not the biggest tarantino fanboy i'll i'll see them all and give them all their shot but, Maybe, okay. but does every problem need to be solved with a, ra- a racial slur or punching a woman in the mouth and i know there's a million tarantino fans out there that are like no they knew it because of this but uh, it's like at this point do, do we have to fucking keep doing it so maybe maybe we should start talking about tarantino and the movie and then sweep back around sure. to this sure 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 theme sure so what we're is, both because it seems like we're both kind of left at the sure so what is what is what was like your relationship with those movies going into it um well what's your uh, with, with the rest of his movies i should say um I, I generally like his movies, and I think that he writes really good characters, and he's just, ha- you know, he rips off a lot of things, which is great. They're homages, and his name and his, his uh, stamp is on everything, which can be to yeah. a detriment. Like, I, 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 my favorite of his movies, I say, is Jackie Brown. And, well, and it's the only mine one, too, but that's a di- we only, come from a much different place. But it's place. the only one that he he didn't write from scratch. Yeah, it's Omar Leonard. Yeah, yeah, it's Rum Punch. Yeah, one of the best crime novelists of the 20th century. I've never read that book, but I'd like to. I I think I might have seen a copy come through. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of the Rum Diaries. I work at a book. That is what that is what that's based on. No, it's based on Rum Punch. Rum Diaries. Oh, is, that's sorry, uh, Hunter Thompson. Right. Which they did make a movie out of. Yeah, that I didn't see. Me Another, And Johnny Depp's second Hunter Thompson for a... I don't fuck with the Hunter Thompson stuff. Sorry to the Tarantino boys, because I know you do. Well, I've kind of lost I've kind of lost my Johnny Depp heart on over the years. Yeah, that's, yeah that's a fucking holy trinity of stuff. I do I like, I do like Hunter Thompson. I'll ride for Hunter Thompson. I was sad. I was sad when he died. I was in college. Because <laughs> I'm old. Wow. That, yeah, I was going to say, way to, way uh-huh. to time stamp yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Mike went to college for nine years, though, so I went to he could be older than went, you think. Yeah, I'm a doctor. <laughs> Lots of people go to college for seven years. All right, I was worried that we were going to cut this out, but now I know that we're keeping That's it from in. That's Tommy Boy. <laughs> and then he goes, yeah, they're called doctors. That's the joke. Anyway, um, um, so I like, I think we like similar Tarantino movies, probably. I like, uh, we both like Kill Bill. Sure. I like Reservoir Dogs. It's you know it's like a, it's like a play. We've seen a play version. Right. Of it. Well, and this is a conversation we had the other day where we, there was a a stage production of that here that was a promenade production that moved through this big warehouse. Yeah, it was clever. And it kind of seemed like the way that that story should and be. And it's all like and the, Tarantino granted that. Yeah, and I, it's not like yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's a cool dude. His agent very at least as or far his as that uh, his publicist or whoever the company talked to was very clearly like, "Don't ask, don't tell." Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, they didn't give a sh- yeah. We should tell about that. And I know that that film has so many things going for it, but honestly, I my experience of watching it live has transcended the way that I ever watched that movie because I just the immediacy of it breathing in front of you is well, and it's a great that the. The movie is a great fucking ensemble of actors. Sure. Um, and then Pulp, Pulp Fiction's obviously a great flick. Yeah, I like Pulp Fiction. That's an all-timer. Jackie Brown, we both said we love, and Kill Billy, both said we love. But it's been in these last, the years since then. Yeah. Well, yeah, he hasn't gone back to something other than The Hateful Eight that wasn't a revisionist history. And I thought The Hateful Eight was going to be like Reservoir Dogs. It was a little, or maybe an Agatha Christie novel or something. Instead, um, it is a meandering, yeah, it's <laughs> ponderous. Crazy. It's crazy. 
the twist like, is the twist is that the, the twist of the movie is that the woman who's been getting punched in the face deserved it. Ring it in, a ding. Bit. I don't know. That, Walter, movie, Walter, that one leaves me cold. Walter Goggins is great. In Walton Goggins, I'm here for it. Wal- Walton Goggers. Love him. Goggle Waters. Yeah, we're here. There. We're here for Walton Goggins at any and all points. Put him into Paul Thomas Anderson also, movie. I also like Christoph Waltz. I mean, Tarantino has great actors. He has great characters. Like Christoph that, Waltz only has one character. That's why he kind of rides next to next to the Coen Brothers, who are like, you know, I, do they do they ride side by side? I think at least in terms of. People thinking of these indie filmmaker, I don't know. The Coen Brothers, I think, don't have any criticism at all, really, coming at them, other than being too good. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's um, that's why I bring that up. Is that I'm like, do the do those do they actually whack a breast? Well, I mean, not also, in, I'm not saying in our eyes. I might. I'm saying in maybe the tabloids' eyes. Well, in you know our in, in in my personal eyes. Paul Thomas Anderson wears shoes sure. made of Quentin Tarantino. Well, sure. <laughs> and, he, and he walks on them and skips along. Those guys probably are friends. They are friends. Yeah. They are friends. They it's... probably all hang out <laughs> and talk about how they're, they think we're dumb. But are Paul Thomas Anderson fans <laughs> and Quentin Tarantino fans friends? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should cut all this. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I can't tell. I can't tell anymore what we're going to cut. I just don't want to burn any bridges with PTS, A. No. Or, or Kevin Smith. Uh, uh, so let's talk about this fucking movie. Okay, let, yeah, so let's, let's, let's actually what, get into what Let's the, talk about what this movie clear, is. So obviously we are not, we're not all in or all out on Tarantino. Yeah. But even ranking those movies and saying that I, I, I like this one and I like this one, I don't know if any of those are like in my top 50. You know what I mean? Like movies ever? Yeah. I don't know. You're more, you like to rank things more than I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm big on that. I just like to watch things I like over again. <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. So, this movie is uh, set in the 60s in Hollywood. The movie is about Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Yes, And the city of Los Angeles. Yes, it is. In Hollywood. In yeah, the baby. 60s. And, and TV cowboys and... Italian actresses. Sure. And and the looming terror of the Manson family. Yeah. Or just the confusion of the era and the wildness of the era. Uh, um, and it's super nostalgic and romanticized for an era that I think Tarantino might have been a child for. So, you know. So we're still, we're still kind of like dicking around like, what did we actually think of this thing? Uh, I, I liked uh, parts of it a lot. I thought it was fun to watch. Um, and it's really funny. It's really funny. It's like Midsummer that way. And it's not, it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is why I don't know how many other people are taking it too seriously. Well, in the face of history, it's kind of hard to take it seriously. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with all these revisionist things that he does, is you're like, uh, this is kind yeah. of treading on harsh territory, but at the same time... One thing I know about this movie is that Sharon Tate's sister gave her thumbs up and was uh, hanging out with Margot Robbie and got to watch her film that scene and stuff like that. I know Bruce Lee's daughter did not like the way he was represented. Mm. Why come? I don't know. That, <laughs> I think that scene will be a forever point of contention because I've, everyone I've talked to can't tell whether or not it's an actual memory right. that Cliff is having of, right. of kicking... Of coming 
you know, nose to nose with Bruce Lee. Yeah. Or if it's an imagined scenario he has to justify sure. why he's better off not being there at all. Sure. Do you think Brad Pitt could take that other actor? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. Let's okay. Let's let's talk about the performances because that I think is sort of an easier thing to 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 kind of wrap our wrap our claws around. Yeah. And that's where I really don't have many problems with this movie. DiCaprio is, at, like, this is one of my favorite things I've seen him do. He's fucking hilarious in this movie. Yeah. And he hasn't done anything, I guess, since Revenant. This is his first movie since then. Not a fan of The Revenant. I didn't see it. Uh, I know, he, I know yeah. there's a bear in it. Um, I know that you would hate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I knew I wouldn't. I thought about I, you. I liked I liked Birdman. I liked that director, but I know. Anyway, okay. Um, yeah, DiCaprio clearly brought it. Uh, he's really funny in this, like the funniest I've ever seen him, and and he's a guy I don't ever really think of in my brain as like a hilarious actor. No, which is which I think is actually kind of funny because he did have that run, you know, like that catch me if you can run. Where, and Wolf of Wall Street, like where too. where he's really just like putting out the, I am charming. You kind of trust me, even though you shouldn't, and we're gonna have a good time. Well, and he like he plays that guy so well. So every time that that comes out, I'm here for it. But also with the crippling anxiety and vanity of a <laughs> a barely successful actor, yeah. cu- couples with him in our minds, I think so well. Well, and Rick Dalton is not, like, cute, winking at the camera guy. Like, he's a fucking mess. Yes. He's, like, drunk and forgetting his lines and just not in his prime. That's kind of the whole deal. And and Pitt, also. Just a great performance. You just love to see that guy. I don't know. There's not a lot of actors that can give you a... <laughs> that from the back of their head, looking at a television, saying "Yeah" while they eat yeah. their spaghetti or, yeah. or their mac and cheese, can get such a laugh. The our theater erupted at that he, moment. He like delivers few lines, but so well when he delivers them. Yeah, you know, I just it, I just thought of it. He's kind of doing the Floyd character that he does in True Romance a little bit, because <laughs> that guy just he just like nails one-liners you know like yeah the one line i keep saying from this movie is uh yeah well i'm sorry about that <laughs> like because a lot of what pitt is doing is just is just modeling and posing a little bit yeah and being this like mythical guy who's who possibly also killed his wife which just we we're not going to talk which about which might anymore. be a weird thing it might just be a little Wink at the death of Natalie yeah. Woods. Yeah, I think that that's part of it. I guess that's probably it. why Christopher Walken isn't in this movie. <laughs> uh, this is going well. Yeah, you know, this, it's, this movie's hard to talk about because it was a good time at the movies. Every time that Brad Pitt is like roaring down the California highway in a car with yeah. the music loud. You're like, this looks cool. This yeah, sounds cool. Yeah, I'm at the fucking movies right now, and this is fun. The music. The, uh, the music the is sense. obviously great. There's, there's references to so many things in old Hollywood and places and people. Yeah, so many things that are that easily, that are so easy to romanticize. If, and if to, you're a guy like Tarantino, you're like going nuts at the... 
the spectacle of references yeah. happening before you. But it also just, the same way that, like, The Hateful Eight did this, and Django kind of does this, where it just sort of feels meandering. And, I, and, I, and I'm not quite sure what it's all for, if, if, well, whether he, it's he just to write this, like, chapter, bombastic style. I feel like he likes to write chapters, you know, like, or, or long scenes, and then switch it up and have another long scene. Like, the end of the Kill Bill saga is him making a, a monologue about Superman, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's mm-hmm. clearly something Tarantino had, like, he's got all these little things that he'll kind of patchwork together sure. for and, any of his stories. And I appreciate that, and we totally get that now after sure. having written five episodes of something. We're like, okay, we want to get this in there. And I, to- and I totally understand that, but the, the, the streamline story always seems secondary to, like, doesn't this rule? When I had heard he was right. going to write this story as a novel... Wow. Which is... Pro- I'd be fascinated to read prose Which, you know, guy. he probably does a lot of coke and writes a lot of shit. <laughs> I imagine. I think he's in his 60s. Yeah, but, you know, he's wealthy. Sure. What, <laughs> else, what else do you do with all a, that money and a, time? He's got a good doctor. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Um, so I guess this was going to be a novel, and I guess the first cut of it was like four hours. I mean, this thing had a hundred million dollar, yeah. dollar fucking budget. Well, and we, and we talked about like what, like what are the missing thirty minutes of Midsummer? I, did, what the missing, what hour and ten minutes of this movie? I know that I know that there was an entire character that Tim Roth played that they cut, uh-huh. and he was going to be the butler to um, uh, Tate. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's gonna be the butler that lived in their house, and had some very Britishisms. And had some very British things to say. Yeah, I don't really know how to even respond to that news. There were a I, lot of weird things shoved into this. Like, yeah, I'm Michael feeling... Madsen got shafted and played a cowboy twice in a row, basically. Yeah. Um, Luke Perry was—he was kept in this. I feel like yeah, because, the litany of cameos just, are funny because he just died. Yep. Um. The guy from Justified, Timothy Oliphant, yeah, Deadwood, right. playing a cowboy, which was cute little wink, I guess. Well, and uh, Burt Reynolds was supposed to play the Bruce yeah. Dern role, but yeah. he died before they shot the film. All of the all of the Manson girls are the sons and daughters of famous people. Which is weird because he used to revive famous people, and now he's making their kids famous. I mean, they're already famous. Yeah, a lot of God. Those kids, I mean, it's but. this is the, what I just said a second ago. Like, I think this movie's so hard to try to have a compact response to because there are just so many bizarre things at play that really shouldn't affect the way that we're watching a movie. That we're like, oh, why is Maya Hawk in here for well, for three seconds and doesn't say anything? And, but also, there's nothing for us to really gather from it as a as a as a statement piece of the year well i feel like it's kind of like it was it was it was kind of fun it was pretty funny and it was still racist and they still wrapped it up by kicking the shit out of a couple of little girls and i've I've been watching mad men and so i thinking of that time and that era you know when Mm -hmm. they were just that's kind of the world that it was and i think tarantino just has this nostalgia for that that it's not like I disappreciate it. No, not at all. But this story very much feels like a middle-aged man writing about a guy worried that he's becoming obsolete. Right. 
And so it's a different story from like his past ones. You know, right. it's kind of focusing on one character. Like, yeah. Kill Bill does that, and do you think of this? And Django does that, but which other one just has like one kind of main? Jackie Brown. Yeah. Like I was just gonna. His movies... I was just gonna say, do you think that if he had released this when Jackie Brown came out and had just made Jackie Brown, that those would have been received better? Probably would have done better in the late 90s, and Jackie Brown probably would have done better now. Yeah, hypothetically, sure. Because, you know, Jackie Brown's, like, a story about a middle-aged couple, and it's very human, and it's very real, because yeah. it's Elmer Leonard. And Pam still thing. looks that good. <laughs> so maybe they could just try it again. Yeah, I could see that. More Elmore Leonard novels as films, you know? Just give me all of them. Just give me more. Yeah, Tarantino's a funny guy. You know what's funny is, like, I was laughing at the end. I loved the... Brad Pitt on acid holding that can yeah. of dog food and I knew he was going to throw it in someone's face and when he did I laughed. And then two seconds later he's like bashing the other girl's head into the wall. Yeah. And and yeah. You're like, and what are we doing? You know? What are we doing? But at the same time this is the fucking Manson family so you're kind of like good, fuck them. They were going to go kill the... I have to give props to Margot Robbie because mm. people say she didn't have enough lines but that character's set up to just be this this woman that you you are, just don't want her to die you just don't want her to die she's so sweet going to her own movie and being nice about nobody recognizing her and putting on her dorky glasses yeah and just beaming yeah. that was the scene that i guess sharon tate's sister was there when they filmed and was like hmm. okay you have made her into a lovely person how surreal is that gotta be uh i can't even imagine what that was like for that lady imagine or, or for margot robbie i mean god can you imagine Playing someone in front of I their... guess she did a lot of research, and she put in contacts. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, I love Margot Robbie. She's great. Give her, the, give her the statue. Oscar buzz on this one? What do you think? Yeah. It'll get buzz. Sure. Maybe best original screenplay, or maybe uh, DiCaprio will get, like, a supporting actor nod. Like, they'll both get supporting actor nods. I would, you know, I, d- I would definitely give the one to DiCaprio. I think he's a, I think that's great stuff. But we're gonna, we'll have a, we'll have a banger Oscar pod come this spring. We have, All right. We have miles to go before we sleep there. But let's take one more break. We'll come back and we'll talk about some TV. Yeah, and some other things. Yeah, we got TV to and talk we'll about. And we'll wrap up some other thoughts we have. We've taken a little break. We're back. We've still been deliberating how we feel about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And and I was just saying, you know, for all its flaws, I feel like it might be in my top five Tarantino because it seems like the movie he always wanted to make a little bit. Sure. Like, it's got all of these textures of the things we know he loves, especially, we haven't talked about this yet, but Feet. And I don't know if I like that part of the movie. That's like a little... Tarantino's like embracing that everyone knows he's got a foot fetish uh-huh. so much in this movie that any time a woman's foot can be revealed, he made that actress do it. Sure. Or, or, you know, coax them. Sure. You know, with his charm. So you, so you would put it on your top five solely based on it's kind of feeling like his thesis. A little bit. Like, all of all of the things that he you wants know, to finally see. Well, I guess I'd have to, like, sit down and think about that, and I'd probably bump it back a little bit. 
Because he's got some other ones that I like. But, you know. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't think it was his worst movie. No, 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 not at all. You know? And I, you know what, I don't think it's bad. I mean, for all the criticisms, criticisms that I do have of the movie, I, I had a fun time watching it. Yeah, I'd watch it again. Yeah, and I mean, and I would, obviously, and we started this whole podcast talking about, like, event movies and summer movies, things that kind of drag, that kind of bring us all together the way that movies were supposed to do, <laughs> and yeah. did for so many years. I mean, I would take this over a goddamn superhero movie. Every single time. Yeah. I'll take this over the new Fast and the Furious movie every single time. And and as, like, uh, controversial of a lead characters as they are, I did really like DiCaprio and Brad Pitt in this. Like, their yeah, characters were, were fun, even though they were incredibly flawed. And, you know, the question is whether he's mocking that or praising it, I guess. But that's not for us to know. No, and that's going to be the question... Yeah. For the rest of the time, which I imagine is yeah, or rest, until or rest until, of film civilization yeah. discussing or, what that what he means by or until he things. yells at a journalist and finally like clarifies a little bit because yeah. he's because he doesn't feel the need, and I get that you know I believe that you can let your work speak for itself and that's an important part of the relationship art has to the the viewer and the audience. Sure, is that people can interpret things and the artist can intend something and those don't have to match. You know, no, and that's 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 well put, and I think that's a great place to, yeah, kind of wrap up the conversation on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Love Midsummer, and we would recommend go go yeah. see Once Upon see, a Time in Hollywood. See both of these movies. Yeah. Um, you gotta have them, an opinion. One of them's gonna fuck you up a little bit, and one of them will have you kind of laughing and maybe asking questions later. Sure. And then okay, so now we want to move back to like what the kind of initial intention of this podcast was was to talk about television yeah which we, we watch a lot of it we watch a lot of it and we were and this is kind of what i wanted to lead us in with is we were just talking about all right when we move to the tv section of this podcast what do we want to talk about and immediately six or seven things came to our mind which yeah. brings up the conversation about like jesus there is so much of it how am i supposed to keep up what am I supposed like? What is the thing that I am supposed to be on all the time? Yeah, we started this whole podcast talking about Big Little Lies because that was kind of event viewing, the same you know the same way that Midsummer and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are like these event movies things but, but things like a, Big Little Lies. But for us, we end up making a laundry list of event viewing <laughs> yeah. TV shows. Yeah, it's that easy we're for us to do. About, it. Or you know, some miniseries coming up or some. I, I have to start watching Downton Abbey, I guess, because there's a movie coming out this Christmas, you know, that's, right. like, going on my chore list now, right. you know? Yeah, right. Downton Abbey, Mad Men, <coughs> retrospective podcast, those are those are definitely on their way. But f as far as new stuff goes, I mean, I guess we could start Dairy Girls. We just jumped yeah. into second I just season. I just finished the second season. You finished it? I, I have I, I have one more. No spoilers. I'm a Dairy Girl. Yeah. <laughs> No spoilers, but I am also a dairy girl. Yeah. <laughs> this, I mean, this might be the most, like, endlessly charming show I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a bunch of little Irish girls in the middle of uh, the Irish Revolution shenanigans. 1992? Is it? 1990? 1990? 1991? 91? 92? Yeah. Um, and they're, they're really charming young actresses and characters. It's all written by written and created by the same person, same woman. I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. McGee, I think. They all have crazy Irish names and crazy Irish accents, and uh, everyone in it is really funny. The whole and it's uh, some of the, like, the tightest 
sitcom yeah. writing. Well, it's six episodes each season. They're, I, I think, six. Yeah. They're they're really short, short, sweet. And they've and we were talking about how you, you've you've seen a lot of these plots before if you've. If you have a, a history with sitcoms sure. dating back to the '90s, and they just kind of like do the best versions of a lot of those uh, episode tropes that you've yeah. seen before. Yeah, they do uh, a lot of that in this season too. Yeah, and it's—I mean, it's not—is it the wire? No, no, it's good. It's good stuff though. Yeah, and I—I w- I mean, and it was—you wouldn't even who's call your, it like who's your favorite character in Dairy Girls? I—I <sighs> I think mine's probably Sister Michael. I was gonna say the nun is Sister Michael is is gives a studly authority figure for these girls and is just openly uh, hates everything she uh, yeah. has to do. Yeah, she and is mocks everyone and is <laughs> just a hilarious character yeah. and performance. She is LeBron playing bully ball in the paint, yeah. getting everything yeah. she wants. She's the, every joke she she's gets. Your, there's your Emmy nomination. Absolutely, I do. You know, I do love the. And I can't think. I the character and the actress, they the name escapes me. But the the lead girl, the lead girl and the little and the short girl. And the short girl. I mean, they're all really. Funny. I was gonna they're say. Really I mean, funny. we could just we like, could just say this about they, each one of them. They they have a dynamic that they have to lean on each other to really make work. They're a good team. Yeah, the boat the boat rose together in Dairy Girls. What are some other shows? Uh, well, I mean, I wanted to just include that, and I am a little bit behind. I have to finish the last two episodes, but. After being scandalized by the first episode, I'm all in on Euphoria. I think anyone oh. who was maybe timid about starting that I, needs I, to go back and I do it. I watched the first one, and then uh, I've been on a Mad Men run for the last yeah, few Yeah, so, so you didn't watch that, so I, we can't. I watched all of Mad Men for the first time. We're going to have to talk about that at yeah. some point. But, and we can't really talk about Euphoria because you aren't in it, but that's that's yeah. definite recommendation for me. Um, there's a few shows that we're looking forward to. We're Succession. Gonna, we're going to watch Succession this week. Yeah, that's right. That starts on Sunday, and I think we'll do Succession week to week. Sure. Because I feel pretty confident that it's gonna live up to our expectations. Yeah. And there's oh, there's a couple other things coming out. The I'm look the Dark Crystal thing on Netflix the dark, comes the out. The Dark Crystal series, and that's gonna be really cool. And we're both gonna be like all crying about it. I know stuff. you're gonna you're gonna have those weird. Um, like acid flashbacks to watching that movie. Yeah, it's gonna be a hard nostalgia trip. I remember, I remember at the beginning of our friendship talking about those older movies and cartoons that you watched when you were a little kid, and how uh, startling they can be sometimes to see in a vulnerable state when you're older because the image has not, the image and the sound has not changed yeah. at all. Yeah, that's why I think nostalgia is a thing. It's like this right. pure memory sensation. Well, when that's, you watch that's the that you industry right now. That's that's TV yeah. and movies. It's that's all you, playing on our nostalgia. That's why you and I have spent hours and hours talking about, like, Stand By Me exactly. and things like that. Exactly. And that's why we, like, we're finally, we are finally targeted. We're hooked by Dark Crystal. Uh, yeah, the Dark Crystal, you finally got to us. The other one that I, the only other one I feel like is going to get me excited, like, that will be Bill, the Bill and Ted <laughs> sure. Um, sure. Um, Mindhunter. Mindhunter. I watched the first I season seen... of that, and that's awesome. David Fincher. Um, the beginning of serial killer psychological profiling, where this, where people think that these guys are sickos just for even wanting to interview these serial killers. Right. Right. And I've I've missed this, so maybe I'll catch up so we super, can talk about that. Super interesting. If you like real crime. 
you know, right. shit like that. Uh, Righteous Gemstones, I think, comes out not this Sunday, oh, but the but the following Sunday. Fuck, that I might be another about that one. That that might be in Danny in McBride for us. and John Goodman yeah. and uh, Workaholics. Workaholics and Walter Walton Goggins and oh, Dermot Jesus Mulroney. I think Christ. there's a, there's a lot of Dermot the... Mulroney and <laughs> yeah. Walter Goggins are both in that too. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be fun. They're uh, televangelists. Sure. You know. that, yeah. So that might that might be on the docket for us. But the there is big news that you and I learned. What was this a week ago? Two weeks ago, maybe. That sent it. It sent. It sent acid down my spine. Season three of the Deuce. Oh yeah. September 9th. Yeah, we're close. We're less right. than a month away. Yeah, we're gonna watch that. I mean, not less gonna, than a month. We're gonna have to watch that and talk about it really. Regularly. The deuce is gonna. The deuce is gonna be huge, and we um, talked about that in the last pod, kind of what it is. But we did. But we also learned that the we're jumping season, all the way to 1985. Yeah, the season's gonna be wild. So that opens up the door for a couple predictions that maybe we can toss back and forth. The Deuce, I think, is gonna be a cult classic down the line where people are like, "You should really go back and watch that." Sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the viewing is like now. Maybe it's better than I think it is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't either. I mean, I don't think... I didn't watch it when it first came out, because I was like, Franco, huh? And, <laughs> and, you know, but I love Franco, and he and he does his thing so funny in this. He's so funny in this, because he's talking to himself. Are we going to talk about James time. Franco talking to himself in every podcast uh, that we do? It's just so funny to me. <laughs> it's, and that's, like, so funny. So, clearly... Circle the date on your calendar. The Deuce is coming back for its final season on September 9th. Yeah. It's going to be a big day for both yeah. of us. Buckle but now up. we're, we're going to move into kind of the end of this podcast, and I just want to clear the lane for you, because this is a thing that we had talked about before we oh, even yeah. started doing this podcast, was to let you fire off your last uh, post-mortem takes <sighs> on Game of Thrones. Uh, there's not. It's hard to say. There's not much I can say about Game of Thrones that hasn't been said. I kind of saw the bad ending coming because I watched Lost back in the day, and so a lot of people were upset, and it was kind of like, you know, I was like cold and immune and cut off because I'd already experienced that sort of thing. So I wasn't super invested. I loved Daenerys. They they really shafted her. I mean, it, I can see the arc of the character if they'd had another year, which they could have had a couple more years. The showrunners ditched it to go make Star Wars. Everyone kind of knows the story by now, and it's sure. going to become sure. Canon. I just, I just want to know if there was any like personal grievances that you just wanted to kind of put to bed. Uh, just that I'm really on board with the the future story that those guys will have fucked that thing up. You know, they really dropped the ball. That's how history is going to remember that thing. Yeah. You you watched the last season just to kind of experience it with people, and so you missed many. Yeah. There were you know I mean that what was it eight seasons or something um there were there were several that were really good because the books were written over a long period of time and there's good dialogue and characters that all kind of got um you know just fumbled just fumble after fumble like if it were if it were a football game you were watching like 25 turnovers yeah you would be like (laughs) what just happened um and you know it's like after at at halftime you're like this is over yeah you know, and that was you know, and that was the surreal thing about doing what I did because I, for everyone's reference, I had only seen I think the first three or four episodes of the first season. Decided that this, this thing was not my thing. It's not in my yeah. You're not. You're it's not, not in a, my you're not of that stuff anyway. I'm not a big fantasy but, person. But there was clearly such a huge 
following behind it that I really wanted to be part of the, the zeitgeist that followed the last season. Well, what was good about it is that, because I don't, I'm not a huge fantasy person. I mean, I've seen Harry Potter's and Lord of the Rings and stuff, but that's not like my genre that I prefer. But uh, Game of Thrones, when it was good, was making it more about the people in the world and the characters mm-hmm. and the political intrigue than it was, you know, magic was always kind of a backseat thing until yeah. and then it started they had to start showing their cards and you know everyone knows it's they were working with books that weren't finished and then they surpassed the books and that made people mad because they knew what was coming right. and then they fumbled it and it's kind of sad and the old guys got to try to finish those books and i never read the books i didn't get and how long is that saga supposed to go on the, is there a release more, two more then? books and it takes oh, him like man. five or ten years to write each one wow and he's, I don't know, it's, it's a mess. What a tortured fan but base. It, it's, really, it's really kind of this historical testament to the world we live in now where media is working in all these strange ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that was that guy's magnum opus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then he got, he had, reasonably, was very distracted by but it kind suddenly of like, it becoming the biggest show in the world. Yeah, like, surpassed him. Not even finished the books. Like, there's all sorts of... It's a saga. They'll make a movie someday about the behind the scenes of that, <laughs> you know, and it'll be some, some, it'll be strange. Wow. Jesus. Well, that's what you all have to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, that's my takeaway. All right. Well, thank that you seems all. as good a place as any to end. Yeah. Thank you guys for, if you hung through this long, thank you for hanging with us. Absolutely. And we'll be back next week with reactions to the premiere of Succession yeah. and I think the next week we should do top five shows of the year because we've watched a lot of TV this year. Yeah, and maybe just start doing like our first of many discussions about Mad Men over some cocktails. <sighs> yeah, we might just have to have like a Mad Men corner at the end of every Yeah, episode. we might just do that once in a while. Ooh, that, sounds, that sounds fucking good to me. Sure. We, All can, right. we can rehash some old thoughts on old shows. Alright. Well, this was Hot Little Takes. I'm Christian. I'm Mike. And we'll see you again next time. Peace.